0: So thank you everyone for joining us on our panel discussion today where we're going to be discussing the state of tech and people technology, the best practice for choosing and implementing talent tech and the future of the space in general. I'm Darren Topping, Director of Solutions and Insight for Lorien. Lorien are a specialist expert-to-expert expert recruitment solutions provider specialising primarily uh, in bespoke and agile MSP, RPO, total talent, project and statement of work solutions. I'm lucky enough today to be joined by a panel of experts that I've worked with previously, a lot of people I I, uh, I respect. Um, and if I can go around the virtual room and ask you to introduce yourselves, that would be great. Um, as you're representing the client in this, Spencer, would you mind going first?
1: Sure, so Spencer Hurley from Nationwide Building Society. Um, I've held a number of different roles within the organisation from head of executive into head of technology and transformation recruitment, and currently have a broad portfolio around um, recruitment innovation diversity and our response to diversity
0: and employer brand. Brilliant, thanks Spencer. Toby, would you mind going?
2: Yeah, of course. Um, so I'm Toby Heels, um, UK sales manager for Adway. Uh, so working with employers to help distribute their recruitment and employer brand content across social media uh, and to help them leverage that data uh, to be able to make an impact on their hiring strategies.
0: Brilliant. Thanks, Toby. And going around my screen, Haley, you're next, if that's OK.
3: Sure. Thanks for having me. I'm Hayley Baker. I'm the co-founder and head of product at Diversely. Uh, So I've been very passionate about the space of diversity and inclusion for many years, heading Girls in Tech in Singapore and Vietnam for a while, um, but having more of a tech and engineering background. Diversely works with both recruitment and direct hiring companies to improve the diversity of their candidate pipeline, as well as bringing analytics and metrics to the diversity and inclusion space.
0: That's great. Thanks, Hayley. Uh, Jason, over to you.
4: Yeah, Jason Kennedy. I'm formerly CEO of a number of uh, international recruitment firms. I've spent the last 10 years running a private equity fund in recruitment technology, emerging technologies. And I sold the majority stake in that fund pre-COVID and then joined in PLC. And I'm now the group head of digital and innovation.
0: Yeah,
5: we're lucky to have you. Thanks, Jason. And last but not least, Adam. Hi, thank you very much for having me. I'm Adam Gordon, I've been in recruitment since 1999. I uh, started working for myself in 2009, providing tech-enabled services around talent sourcing and social media. And then in uh, 2016, uh, I moved uh, headlong into technology, built a business called Candidate ID, sold that to iSIMS in March this year. We've been with iSIMS for nearly six months. Six months tomorrow, actually, and uh, I. The thing that really drives me is making making recruitment a better experience for recruiters, for candidates, for hiring managers, and using technology and process uh, enhancements to to try and make that happen.
0: Brilliant and massive again, massive thanks again to all of you for for joining us today. Um, Our first kind of discussion point that I'd like to touch on is a question that we get asked all the time. And it's something that we talk to our clients about in quite a lot of detail, really, is that um, obviously HR and and people technologies is is growing all the time. Huge investment in the space. Loads of great tech out there. But how how and what is the best way to leverage technology in the space without losing that human touch? Um, Hayley, could, could you kick us off on this one?
3: yes definitely i feel like a lot of people feel the two contradict each other so you either have technology or you have human touch i think in reality uh, and to your point adam is process actually helps to make process to make any experience better if a process is well defined and well followed and technology is a great way of ensuring that you have that i mean just looking at how diversely helps clients I think our technology makes it easier for recruiters and hiring managers to do the right thing by by candidates, for instance. And by doing the right thing, I mean communicating at the right points, keeping people up to date, but also in terms of the language that we use and put out there and removing bias from a process. So I think as long as technology, and and especially AI, which we often hear is a, a little bit of a tricky one, is used not to replace decisions or introduce more bias, but actually to support humans in doing better by the candidates and following process, I think that's the way to do it.
0: Super interesting, thank you. And Adam, I think you put something on LinkedIn this morning actually about how, um, is it in New York, they're starting to look at um, the bias of technology in in making recruiting decisions?
5: Yeah, that's right. As of January, um, employers are going to be liable for the artificial intelligence that's used in their recruitment processes. Um, When it comes to bias, not the technology providers, the actual employers themselves. So every employer in, in New York has got to look at this in a lot of detail and they've got to hold their tech providers accountable for this because the buck stops with them, with the employers as of January. New York is uh, quite an enlightened state, I find. And uh, I think that they'll probably be trailblazers in this area. I suspect that a lot of other US states, including California, for example, will follow suit very quickly. And countries like um, the UK and, of course, many in mainland Europe will also be very quick to take this up. So to, 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 to go back to your original question, though, which was about, you know, how do we leverage tech? without losing the human touch. I think we can use technology to um, allow recruiters to have more quality human time with candidates. To me, the biggest wasted um, activity in recruitment is called contacting people. And if we can use technology to generate much better signals that help us understand who we should be prioritizing our valuable sourcing time Actually talking to, we're going to enjoy our jobs better because we're getting more yeses. We're going to have more quality conversations with prospects that want to talk to us, and we're going to be more effective. So it's definitely not about getting rid of humans, but it's about enabling the humans to get rid of um, the repetitive, boring tasks that they've had to do, you know previously, which they no longer need to do
0: yeah. That's super interesting. Thank you. And, and Spencer, speaking from from like a nationwide perspective, how do you get that balance right? Because obviously, I bring you you know tech a few a few times throughout the year to have a look at. How do you balance the perspective of this could really optimize what we do versus do we want to lose the experience for candidates and hiring managers?
1: I think it has to be central. I mean, I couldn't agree more than what Adam said. You know, I had a conversation with a group about twenty of our recruiters before we moved to Laurean probably three or four years ago now and you know there was a book that I read around what to do when the machines do everything, right? There is an answer to that. There is a really good answer and Adam's just expressed it, which is do what, what humans are great at, which is the contact. And you know, my challenge to that team at the time was look, if if this is a process and you're just moving a a C from left to right through a process, I can get anyone to do that, right? I don't need to pay you or your skills or your time. It's gonna be outsourced to a machine probably eventually it already is beginning to so i think that is absolutely central there is no point buying a technology unless it's going to free up and you've got clear articulation of what it is you're doing there's no point having recruiters just managing the process because you can get you know a much lower paid skilled role to do that and i think that's absolutely critical i think it's and that's what makes recruiters want to do those those people want that contact and they're just not very happy if they're just moving a running a process and therefore it's about not just having better experiences focusing on the things you can make a difference on and the kind of experience, which is absolutely critical. Um, it's about having a job you enjoy as well, I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. If we could stay with you, Spencer, for a second, if that's OK, because I think it's, it's really unique that we've got your perspective from the, from the side of the organisation. When you look for a, a new tech partner and a, and a tech provider, what do you assess, you know, the market on? What what do you really look for in that organisation or in that potential partner that really stands out and makes you kind of move down the the procurement process with them? I think it is
1: different depending on what some some of the problems you're trying to solve. Sometimes you're just trying to solve a a process, right? Sometimes you're trying to add value in the process. So it, it really would depend. I think, you know, over the last three or four years, the things I'm most interested in is an organisation that does want to partner, because I think partnerships are crucial. If you just feel like you're just one of many you're selling to, we have some experiences where we have made a decision in our assessment area. Um, good organisation, but really struggles to get around the scale and, and respond quickly and appropriately. So I think um, you want an organisation that is going to respond to your needs. And I think that's one of the things we, we look for. Um, And i think the other thing is around so ease of doing business but also you know prove some of these things so yeah if there is a lack of data lack of willingness to show that data that that's a a red flag so i think it's partnership um it doesn't have to be we're very happy to partner with very small organizations but we need to make sure that their scale is not going to cause problems when we need them to react and change um and making sure that whatever we think we're solving we can ultimately look back and either prove it you know has it worked or hasn't it worked because i think it's okay going into a, a relationship thinking we think it's going to work but if it isn't we need to have an understanding of how
0: you make those changes et cetera. so so data and insight is probably the other thing yeah making some measurable outcomes which can be the hardest thing and sometimes that's what you're trying to solve with the tech isn't it
1: Exactly. And as long well as you were clear what it can't do and what it can do, but but there are certain
0: elements that that obviously it lends it better to that to that process and and working it through. and And how about you, Jason, when you were holding the the purse strings in your former life and and you were looking to make make investments, what what were you looking for in the market?
4: Yeah, I, I probably look at this wearing two hats, uh, Darren. One is an investor's hat and and secondly is, is wearing a corporate hat. So I look at value and when, when i look at the value chain uh, i speak to three types of value one what value are we creating in the candidate experience so why what problem are we solving and how is this giving the candidate better value so that's the first leg on my three-legged stool of value the second one is for essentially the client so what's the value proposition for the client here how are they getting value out of the technology we're deploying here are we deploying good technology on a bad process? Are we applying good technology on a great process to give them better efficiencies? That's the second one. And then the third piece I look at from a value lens is, how's this creating value for the technology provider? In other words, is this business we want to do? Is this business where we can create clear space with the competition? And is this business that can give us a creative value? Yeah. Or are we plugging into something that's fundamentally broken and it's not it doesn't tick the value box for either candidate, client, or ourselves? So I look at it through a value lens.
0: That's great advice, thank you. And and just picking up on something you said, Spencer, and, and it was actually one of one of my suggested talking points. I wonder if we can come to you to kick this off, Toby, and then and then open to the group. But um, a lot of obviously HR and recruitment technologies companies are are sometimes quite a lot smaller than the organisations that they hope to work with. Do you have any kind of advice for those organisations who are going to be working perhaps with a with a small or scaling up um, rec tech provider? And what's the benefit of working with someone who could be, you know, a really early adopter of such technology?
2: Yeah, it's that's an interesting question actually, because um, I guess at Adway we're we're scaling at the moment, so we're quite new to the market, uh, but scaling quite rapidly. Um, so I guess the benefit, well, the clear benefit which I've experienced is that um, because we're trying to make a, a quick impact. You can, you know, new customers who are coming to us who are quite innovative and that they tend to be the type of customers who, who want to act fast and make an impact. So we can add some value. But because they're early adopters, we'll kind of do anything for them. So you we know, we'll literally bend over backwards, whatever it is, their list of demands, however they want to approach stuff. We can be really agile and kind of adapt things and kind of nothing's off off the cards, really. Um, especially I guess for tech companies certainly from our perspective you know we're always looking at different angles how we can set things up differently uh, to add that value um, so if you're an early adopter kind of no- nothing's off the cards really uh, which I think is quite exciting from both sides so that would be my advice is uh, go in with exactly what you want to achieve while you're partnering with someone what value you're looking to, to get um, and then make sure they support you in doing that if they can.
0: You know this is recorded, don't you? You're gonna get all kinds of weird and wacky requests from your clients off the back of this now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and what do you think, Haley? Obviously, this isn't this isn't your first organization you, you've co-founded and and scaled up. Do you have any advice for those kind of larger organizations as, as to what they can expect and what the benefits are of working with a, a smaller startup?
3: Definitely, yeah, sure. I, I highly align with what you say, Toby, is that you know we're also scaling and being a true partnership means that you can have a lot of say and sway in how the product develops to solve for some of those perhaps slightly more niche needs that some clients have. Um, we wouldn't bend our backwards to any of those. They have to make sense in our product roadmap, but I do think, yeah, we are much more flexible at these early stages and have made actually a lot of you know, user feedback driven adjustments, but also more strategic decision in some directions when it comes to integrations, thanks to the input of those clients. So I think getting in early is an advantage. You do have to be mindful of that scalability element and responsiveness. So we have clients globally, but we don't have supporting teams globally, uh, as one example. So that's something that we do as best a job as possible to also manage expectations around what can we deliver, what can we do or not deliver on the support side of things. Um, I just want to go back to the rolling question around what, you know, an ideal client and partnership looks like. Um, The point around, you know, being really clear and articulating what you want to achieve with the technology adoption is something that we've struggled with in the early stages. Is with clients say, we want to improve diversity and inclusion. Why? What do you want to achieve? How do we make that measurable, for instance, is something that we're now working much more closely with partners to define at an early stage so that we can have that feedback loop and demonstrate the value that we are able to give them. Whereas I think a lot of early stages, that's not well-defined or at least not even shared across the the client side. And if the client side doesn't even align on what the value and metrics are we're trying to change, it's really difficult for us to work through with the users on a day-to-day basis. Um, So yeah, that's my two cents.
0: No, that's interesting. Thank you. And you've teed me up quite nicely, Hayley, because I really wanted to talk about um that technology adoption, I always see that that is the the biggest hurdle to, to get over when implementing something new. Um, and I think it's fair to say, and hopefully we'll all agree that, te- you know, the technology in this space has, has really exploded over the last couple of years. And quite often, we're in a really lucky position. We're fortunate enough to see a lot across a lot of organizations. And there are so many companies that we see now that have loads of HR and recruitment technology, but actually, it's quite fragmented. A lot of the technology doesn't talk to to each other. Some of them aren't used because you get different teams coming in and they want to make a kind of signature purchase almost and put something together, but it doesn't quite work out. How, um, and I'll ask you this question, Adam, to begin with, how do you approach that kind of organisation where they've got a sort of large and fragmented existing technology stack? Quite often, my approach is just to simplify it and and wait for some licences to run out and then build it from scratch. But what would you do in that situation?
5: (laughs) That's a really that's tough question. question. <laughs> that's a re- I mean, I feel when I hear about when I hear organizations tell me what their tech stack is, and it's absolutely nonsensical to me. I'm not convinced that that's a good customer prospect for me until the TA director is different, or the person looking after TA operations is different, or something like that, because they've gone and bought stuff that. Uh, for sometimes it's for vanity reasons sometimes it's because everybody else has got it sometimes it's because there's a I i mean there's a lot of really great sexy sales decks in our industry right but what's actually behind that is often you know a little bit more flimsy there's a bit of emperor's new clothes i think in our industry and so it's quite important to to not be that um I agree with you, Darren, sometimes it's just about waiting for their contract with that incumbent provider to come to an end. And one of the things that I've always aimed to do, both as a, in providing tech enabled services and then in providing a SaaS uh, platform is not to create another version of something that's already in existence. I've always looked to create a real performance enhancement in, in what we've been offering, because and if you're doing things in a different way, not just for different sake, but because it's better, and you can you know clearly show why it's better, then you're going to be successful. But something that we were talking about earlier before uh, I think you pressed record on this was you know I I, I can't overestimate the difference between. Selling to organisations as a startup company versus selling to organisations as an established business that's got thousands of customers already—the inherent trust that a much larger organisation has is huge. That's linked back to your previous question around, you know, how do you how do you position as a small organisation to sell to much bigger ones? Um, on that, get your ISO, get your SOC 2s. Make sure you've got brilliant processes and policies and you know GDPR policies and all that type of thing in place. Um, and that's you know one of the ways that you can 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 get around that. Sorry, I'm conscious I just asked three questions and what answered three questions no, one, I like but... it. I like it. But Haley and
0: Toby will be nodding to ask them those exact questions yesterday around like um tech compliance and stuff like that. How about you, Jason? When you look across kind of um impellant technology and what we're looking to do for our customers. How do you approach those kind of organizations where you're trying to create a solution for them and, and tech can definitely play a part, but maybe um they've got they've got tech they don't use, tech that doesn't talk to each other? How would how would you look at that?
4: Instinctively, Darren, when it's a a, a tech stack, which is a cluster or a mess, instinctively I take Adam's advice and uh, we're not in the enterprise software solutions game. We are not workday. Okay, We're not selling ERP overhaul. So, so typically, my instinct is to walk away. But more specifically, and, and to your point, it's getting into the chair of the customer and understanding what they're trying to achieve. I do find in our industry, more often than not, yeah, we sell what's in front of us. So we don't solutionize. We tend to sell what's in front of us and what we have at our desk, or as Toby says, he will be pivot and do something else, but we're selling what's in front of us. So more often than not, Darren, in those situations, it's putting myself in the customer's seat to understand why they've taken the decisions they've taken to build a tech stack like they have, and then to be really clear on what it is they're trying to achieve. It's only then we can do one of two things, either introduce some of our own digital suite, which might be able to affect part of the problem or be brave enough to partner and recommend others who are just better at doing what we don't do. But fundamentally, it's understanding the customer's perspective because very often they don't know what the problem is.
0: Yeah, starting a solution from scratch bespoke as opposed to opening your book and saying, this is what I can do, so I'll... I'll, I'll make one of these things happen. Yeah, couldn't agree. Couldn't agree more. And that's, I think that's a massive advantage, again, going back to the point that we all spoke about. When you're a little bit smaller, a little bit more agile, you can be more bespoke, can't you? And you can build those solutions from scratch, which is another, another advantage.
4: Well, I had a really good example recently, and I can't name customer names, and I can't actually okay. mention brand names, But but let me just give you the analogy to the extent it's useful. If you're buying widgets uh, and I'm selling widgets, then the only conversation we're going to have is about how many units of widgets do you want to buy and at what price. Okay, The, prob- the problem in that scenario is that replacing widgets with more widgets is not your issue. Your-, <laughs> your issue was how you're burning the widgets, how you're turning them over in your churn. So I'm selling you a solution for one problem, but it's not your core problem. And that's what I mean about understanding from a customer's frame what really is the issue.
3: Yeah.
5: Can can I just add something to what Jason said, because I, I totally agree with this point around uh, you know sometimes the customer doesn't quite know what the problem is they're trying to solve. At the same time, they sometimes don't realize there's a problem there because something just happens in a particular way, and it's annoying, but it's just recruitment is what they think, because that's what they know, and that's what everybody else talks about. But in actual fact, there are better ways of doing things. And my belief is that, Recruitment is other than the assessment part of it, everything else is sales and marketing. It's exactly the same as as, as a sales and marketing operation. If you go and look, go, go around a marketing technology conference and you go and take a look at some of the things that they're offering there, you go, hang on a second, that would be amazing in recruitment. We don't have anything like that. And in fact, I didn't realize this problem that's identified in sales and marketing. I didn't even think about it as being a problem. I just in recruitment. I just thought that's the way recruitment works. So sometimes there's a uh, there's a problem that, that the the that the organization doesn't even know exists yet.
2: Yeah, I think that's definitely true, actually, Adam. And another good example of that is we have um, like on the implementation side. Um, We've had a few when we were first starting out, we had some implementations with certain customers and we could get everything set up for them, uh, you know, kind of correctly. But more recently, we've been working with the guys at Udder, who are obviously implementation specialists. And kind of the results from having someone who's got that full spectrum understanding of all the different types of technology that you're going to be integrating with. And the full tech stack is really helpful for for the end user so they can actually look at some of those uh some of those issues what what value are they adding what problems are they solving and how can they look at it more from a higher view um and they can obviously tailor the integration from each one of those uh technology providers and make sure that everything's working collectively so more of an actual tech stack rather than just an accumulation of different technologies working separately Um, so yeah something like that can be really beneficial
0: that's that's yeah i absolutely agree toby and This is a question to all of you, really. I think it can be quite a thorny topic, integration uh, of systems. Um, How much integration with existing kind of organisation systems is a sweet spot in kind of TA tech? And is there such a thing as as too much integration? I don't know if anyone's got a particular thought on that, because I think some organisations don't want integrations. Some organisations want everything working through the one seamless system. In terms of kind of adoption and and what you've spoken about there, Toby, and, and everyone, is there a sweet spot there that... Kind of organisations need to find, do you think?
3: I definitely have an opinion on this one. We we personally integrate quite a lot, but I think when we have clients that have a large tech stack, kind of relates back to the previous question. It's always good to look at what are they trying to achieve, which of those systems and endpoints are relevant within that context, who is the key user, and what do they need to know, and where are they going to be looking for it, and then customize that integration based on those specific needs rather than integrating everything for everyone. So we take much more of a, what solution are you like, what are you looking to resolve? Who are the key people involved and what is their experience and then a need to integrate basis. Um, And when we speak with clients who have large and complex tech stacks, I think it's first eliminating what is irrelevant and then looking into, okay, within those that are in scope, what can we do? Um, We also work with companies that have quite legacy systems, and and that's really difficult, in which case we'll usually recommend starting small and discovering whether that process works and whether this solution is actually solving their problems before we look at scaling through the integration as well. Um, So just some of the ways in which we've gone about it, but would love to hear what the rest thoughts are on this.
5: I think there's a couple of aspects to it which are important. The first is the effort versus reward. So um, if you're going to get a 2% improvement on performance by doing the integration, but it's going to cost you a quarter of a million pounds or it's going to take uh, nine months to make it happen or something like that, don't bother doing it. It's really not that important. There's lots of different ways of using webhooks and doing other things, uh, having alerts coming into email or or, or something like that. There's lots of workarounds, flat file exports and imports. Um, So integration is... uh, is is uh, sometimes a little bit, I think, overemphasized, but at the same time, um, if you have selected technologies that you know you're going to be using for the next seven years or the next even three years or something like that, and you're definitely not gonna be changing them, then having like a CRM and an ATS integrated, it's a no-brainer, absolutely, 100%. The other thing is about timing. So if you're the type of organization that is likes to trial different things, then don't do any integrations with that thing that you're trialing for six months at the beginning. Wait till the six months is gone and you've proven, yeah, we want to commit to this for the longer term uh, and maybe do it at, at that point.
0: That's super advice. Thanks, both. Um, and sticking on the the subject of adoption, you can tell it's all a, a favourite subject of mine. Um, Spencer, what best practice can you give to an organisation to ensure um, adoption of a new piece of recruitment technology? Obviously, at Nationwide, you've you've implemented quite a few things. Have you got some lessons learned along the way from that?
1: Yeah, we've talked about a few bits pieces. I'll pick up on the integration. So for me, you know, does the integration help utilisation, right? And and does that matter? There are definitely things, like Adam said, yeah, you're going to trial it. No, it always feels like, well, we have to integrate. It, have to, well, of course, it feels like you do, but do you really? And does it make a difference? I think what we've learned, is, there's a couple of things. There are, I wouldn't say the wrong people buying a tech solution, but for a different audience. So you know, who's buying it for whose purpose? I'll go back to a point I think somebody else made, which is you know, we we have definitely been guilty of Magpie in right, going to the shiny thing. You know, somebody liked the idea of you know buying it, etc. Was it fully utilised? No, because they weren't going to be the people who were going to utilise it. Did it need integration? Absolutely not. I think we have definitely been. I think we can say we've been accused of buying Ferraris to go down the shops in right. Yeah, it was a nice shiny thing, but it really wasn't going to solve that problem. So I think to answer your question, I think there's a number of different issues we felt, which is, was the right person buying the right tech for the right utilisation? Was it solving the problem or was it both ego and uh, what's nice to drive a Ferrari, right? Those have been the problems that we've had. Um, And it hasn't been part of a full roadmap of based on solutions. It was based on this sounds like a nice thing to have. and 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 we've had to get rid of quite a bit over the last couple of years for cost, but also goes back to the point to at the beginning around data. You know, you're not using it. You know, show me you're using it. Even the CRM stuff, you know, you know who's going to use it? Who's being held to, held to account? And, and can you show that, that there's value in that? And I think that we've really taken our eye off the ball around making sure that we're clear on why we're using it. Who's benefiting from that? And we've made it a bit more complicated. So I don't think I've answered your question, Fully, but...
0: Um, <laughs> no no absolutely it's because it's it's different for different um different organizations isn't it and, and adoption is that is the key bit of of tech and you could always talk through the experience that you've gone through but i think that's such a key point isn't it get the right team in place from day one to you know select assess and then and buy and, and implement the tech expensive because otherwise um there's people doing things not for the wrong reasons but it, it's always good to have experts you know making expert decisions isn't it yeah, and again back to the point that people have made: it's what what problem are we trying to solve here, and does it really solve it, and can you prove? Yeah, it? yeah, brilliant. Um, I want to kind of flip things on on its head for a second, um, and ask some of the the tech providers to to actually um, think about what should you ask a prospective tech partner. So, if your your organisation side now and your your interviewing yourselves, having a demo of yourselves, discussing with yourselves, what should you ask a prospective tech partner to find out if they're the ones that you should be working with? Um, would you mind kicking us off on that one, Toby?
2: Uh, yeah. And I think it probably comes back to what we keep coming back to is what what are you trying to solve? What problem are you trying to solve by going out to a new tech partner? So once you really understand what what issue you've got or what you need some particular help with, then you can grill all of your prospective tech partners on on how they're going to help you tackle that so i suppose that's what i would be really clear on in the first instance is what kind of what problem are you trying to solve and then just put it to them how how can you help me this is what i want help with how would you go about it um and then take it from there so i suppose that's that's the key thing and i guess that comes back to your point spencer is that is the person who's going out and buying the technology is that the person who's going to be using it so do they actually understand what those problems are and if not, maybe it's a more of a group decision. Maybe we need more uh stakeholders involved within that uh procurement process.
0: Thanks, Toby. And, and Haley, what should I have what should I have asked you when we first spoke? Oh, you're still on mute. It was always gonna happen, wasn't it?
3: <laughs> um yeah, no, I'm really glad you're asking me that question because what I'm surprised people don't ask us for a lot is. How are you going to help me demonstrate the business value and the benefits of having this solution? Uh, I think it's something that's lost a lot and probably even more so in the diversity and inclusion space, which feels quite soft and you know, more of a sense, uh, which I think is actually not a good thing. I think every decision, bringing it back to sales and marketing, we wouldn't think of doing sales and marketing without proving a benefit or demonstrating progress. The same should apply for any solution that yeah. you implement and definitely diversity and inclusion as well. So how does any solution that you implement help you to demonstrate that it's actually doing what it says that it's doing? So are there dashboards? Are there analytics to prove it? Are there reports that they can then take to their leadership? Uh, and we would like our clients to think this way because that's or essentially building the business case for us for renewal over time as well. Um, And as a solution, if they're not able to answer that question, then they're probably not as good a solution as they (laughs) say.
0: And how about you, Adam? I must have—I can't be a question that I've not asked you in the last three years, surely.
5: (laughs) No, I think (laughs) you've asked me a lot of questions. But uh, I agree with everything that Toby and Haley just said. But here's one I—I think you should ask, and that is: ask that tech provider about their own team retention performance. Ask that tech provider about their own diversity i think it's really important it's a, it's a, it's an extremely uh, useful indicator of how good an organization that is if they can keep their own people and this is in the sales teams this is in the tech teams and it's in all the other areas as well and ask them about their commitment to diversity because i do think that um, as a let's call as a, a, a talent profession uh, we all need to be committed to that, and if your tech provider is not, then that's a problem.
0: Yeah, that's brilliant advice, and 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 you know it's it's advancing things further, isn't it? Because the people you partner with are a are a direct reflection on on you as an organisation, aren't they? So someone said to me recently, the person that you you spend your time with are a reflection on you, and it's exactly the same. Who you partner with, you know, the the tech providers you work with, and things like that.
5: That that's right, and I, I I'm gonna say something that's not very kind here, but it's the truth. The uh, recruitment tech companies that I admire the least in our industry have got very high staff turnover.
1: I, I, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna support that in a slightly different way, which is I agree with that. Yeah, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of salespeople selling selling the tech, not the solution, and actually having. That conversation with the client, saying what is the problem here, and I can't—that is not going to solve it, and I'm not going to push this. They're really selling the sale, not the, the, the actual solution. And you know, depending on how good they are at that, and how you know, prone we are to believe the at the, the hype, but that, that is not a good starting point. And that I think when we've seen it fail, is that we've bought it and not really um yeah, dealt with the, the underlying problem. know you know adam well i've heard adam on a number of occasions You, you know you know that adam is talking what he's talking about and believes it you know i haven't heard from toby and hayley but you know if you believe it then
0: i think it's a good point you show it you don't just sell it yeah yeah show that you care um Jason, I'm going to come to you for this one, if that's OK, just because you've got such a unique perspective across across both sides of this. Um, what one piece of advice would you give to an organisation who are, who are looking to go to market for some new recruitment or hiring technology?
4: So everything we've said, I, I don't disagree with anything Any everybody has said thus far in terms of the organisation understanding what it is they're buying the the one piece of advice because I sit on both sides of the fence as a seller and a buyer but the one piece of advice I would offer is will the seller underwrite what they're promising so will they take risk in the commercial agreement and underwrite what they're selling and equally from a buyer's perspective back to the utilization of technology will the buyer take risk so in other words yeah if I sell you the motor car and you leave it sitting on the on the driveway, that's not good for me. I want you driving my motor car all around London so people can see that my motor car' is a great brand. But if you're leaving it sitting on the driveway, it's got to be punitive to you, Mr. Customer. It's got to be punitive to you. So if you're not using it, I make more money. okay? If you are using it, you get discount, and you are using it because it creates value, and I've underwritten it. so you get you get you get volume related discounts. So my advice, Darren, is it's both sides of the coin. What is the commercial agreement? Will the seller underwrite it, and will the buyer underwrite to utilise it?
0: Wow, great advice. So are you going to say something, Adam.
5: No, I just think that's amazing what Jason yeah. just said. If you're not using our technology, you pay more. I I, can, I can't wait to start going and doing that.
4: Well, yeah, I, Adam, I'm, you, we know, we know each other from the past, and yeah, and I'm I'm deadly serious because what drives me crazy as a buyer is if I'm the mark. And if I'm the mark, that means you're going to buy a license from me, and it's an annual recurring license, and I don't care if you use it or you don't use it, because you bought the license, and then we'll renew next December. Okay. That drives me crazy. Okay. Yeah, same. Which is why the utilization discussion on both sides of the fence, buyer and seller taking risk, yeah, has everybody engaged. in. in I
5: like that. I mean, that is a partnership, right? right? It, it really like is, that. and 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 just on on that whole thing that you were asking Spencer about in terms of like the ut- like how do how do we make utilization good and all that kind of thing, the amount of organisations I have been tempted to walk away from because I can tell their internal communication is not going to go properly. They're not good. They're going to buy this technology, put it in this part of the organisation, and they're not going to spread it around and do a proper cascade around the value and all that kind of thing. So you know we've gone and. Created toolkits and things like that, and we do internal workshops and webinars and you know things like that in order to you know, deliberately go and try and enable the the cascade around value of the of the technology. And any company that goes and sells their technology to a little part of an organisation and just expects it naturally to you know get adopted across the organisations in dreamland, it doesn't happen. So. Um, I think the yeah working with procurement around a model which is you're going to pay more if the people don't start using it is um, an amazing idea, Jason.
0: Yeah, that's brilliant. That that's worth this chat on its own, isn't it? That that nugget of advice. That's brilliant. Um, no, this has been a this has been a great conversation, and and we're fast running out of time. Yeah, it's going in the notebook. <laughs> Expect some new pricing on Candidate ID soon. Um, if we wouldn't mind going around the table, then. Um, obviously, there's been loads of innovation in the space, loads of great things have been happening, but I'm still convinced that there's areas of, of TA that are ripe for improvement through TEP. Um, can we all think and go around the table, maybe starting with you, Toby, and going around, what areas can we still improve through utilisation and development of technology in the hiring process?
2: Yeah, I think, I don't know if the if technology exists for this, um, but I'm thinking an obvious one for me is a, a more inclusive it sounds like I'm going to be knocking uh, assessment platforms or assessment tools now, but like an assessment type platform, which can be actually like, truly inclusive. And by that, I mean, I think there's a lot of people who are excluded from a recruitment process or, or a traditional or maybe an, a, an old style recruitment process. Maybe neurodiverse people, or people who kind of maybe don't have a traditional CV or uncomfortable with, uh, you know, maybe even using computers or going through a process where there's a lot of duplication that can make people anxious. And then um, there's all sorts of things, I think, which uh, mean that a traditional type recruitment process is is naturally uh, beneficial to a certain demographic. I think if there was some sort of, maybe it's an outreach and assessment type platform, but something to kind of help uh, other people um, to to start and to go through a recruitment process I think would be beneficial Um, like I said I can't quite get my head around how that would work but um, I think definitely that's a a problem which within TA we could we should start looking at is are there people who are going to be good for these types of jobs but are not really being given the the first opportunity in the first place
0: the good thing about this question is, is that we're going to compile all the answers and Jason's going to go away and build it for us. So uh, <laughs> this, this, this isn't part of the round table. This is just our own research. Um, but no, I I, I, know where you, I know where you're coming from, from Toby. And I'm going to give a shout out to a, a tech provider that's not on this call actually called Skill Size, um, which sounds quite similar to, to what you spoke about there, Toby. So what they do is they... For want of a better phrase, they pass someone's skills and experience and then spit that out into capabilities, soft and hard skills. And then they map that kind of skills map into you could be good at any number of these jobs. And what I think is cool about that, and I'm I'm sure there's other providers that do it, but Skill Size is one that I really like, is that it shows that individual these are the roles that you could do. But it also tells the hiring manager these are the roles that this person could be good for. So, say it nationwide. Somebody who's working in branch may not ever know that they would be good in an audit position, and the audit manager, hiring manager, would never know that this person, kind of in a branch, would be good for that role. And connecting those dots, I think, is essential, especially when we are so so talent short in the in the market. Well, well I'm glad you said that, Dan, because that, that saves me my embarrassment
1: by saying what would be really helpful is exactly something like that. You know, going from a skills, you know, to more of a skills taxonomy, you know. Whether it's machine learning or AI to sh- serve up the roles that, you, you, know, you know, our branch people do not know that there's a really well trodden path to our fraud teams, right? They don't know it. So when they're going to apply for roles, they don't, they don't, can't see the connection. So actually having, you know, a system to serve up the roles that already have a well worn path, either through skills taxonomy or, you know, experience as in history is very powerful. So I think that is certainly something I would, was going to talk about because I think it talks about kind of experience and it's it's moving away from that old, you need to have done this, you're a square peg, here's a square
0: uh, hole. Yeah, brilliant. What do you think, Haley? What areas of TA can we still improve?
3: Um, I like what's being said. Actually, when I, when I was thinking about this, I wrote down uh, being inclusive and bias-free from a candidate point of view so it very much aligns what was said here actually and, and i think darren you and i had a conversation about this is we're diversely solves up until people apply but when it comes to the assessments it's where we're looking for partners we find that there are so many partners there out there that focus on video interviews or you know chatbot uh, assessments and having actually some solution that goes you know for different people having different ways in which they can choose to be assessed which would would really tie things together. Because I think all the solutions are out there. You can assess people in hundreds and hundreds of different ways, but a solution that goes, well, let's ask the person who's being assessed, how would you like to go through this process? And then going, okay, and then here's the assessment. So almost reversing it. Currently we're going for this job, this is how we're going to assess. But instead going, you as a candidate applying to this job, how would you like to be assessed? And then going through the process almost in reverse. Uh, That kind of thing would be really awesome.
0: And that touches on personalization, doesn't it? Which obviously we all know is crucial and yeah. and gives a great great experience to everyone. But yeah, that that's another point, isn't it? More personalization of of people's hiring experiences. Um, brilliant. Thanks, Hayley. Uh, Jason, what are you looking for out there? Where, where do you think we can still improve?
4: Well, you're going to be sorry you asked that question, Darren, because uh, I oh. I look at the simple and I look at the complex, and the complex is really complex. Um, so so the simple, hey. What are our big challenges? Finding people and keeping people. So so if we can just get better at finding and keeping them, both, by the way, which s- sit on the pedestal of engagement. If we're better at engaging people, we can find them faster. And if we're better at engaging people, we can keep them longer. So, so anything that improves both of those, Darren, I'm an advocate for. Be- beyond that, I love all the conversations. Uh, I love the skill taxonomy conversation. I love taking bias out of the decision-making process and for me there's a there's a let's keep it topical there's a metaverse of like there's a metaverse of skills taxonomies on on things that each individual does every day in their job now if we can capture that rather than through an annual appraisal process or a CV if we can capture that in the metaverse then you've created all kinds of connections where you can then begin not necessarily to hire people or or buy people into roles but maybe a part of what they do so I don't know, Darren, maybe you're a good carpenter, or maybe you're a good painter, or maybe you're a good, no, I know that exists in fiber. but if we find a mechanism to capture that and create a recruitment metaverse, then we can deploy it without bias. Yeah. I told you, you'd be sorry you asked.
0: No, no, it just, it just sparks up loads of other thoughts, doesn't it? And and where we could go with, with all of this. And Adam, this is what I'm looking forward to, because are going to find out about what your next, your next business is going to be. What do you think is right for improvement in, in our world?
5: um, so, I, I have to say, I know absolutely nothing about assessment technologies, and I never will. So I can't disagree with what you've just said about those things. It's just not my bag. i my my area is in is is very much in the uh, like attraction sort of technologies, and my general comment would be, if we can close the gap between our technology versus mainstream sales and marketing, I would urge anybody to go to a marketing technology conference and just go walk the floor have a look around and see what's there and you'll get inspiration straight away more specifically here's something i'm interested in um recruiters tend to be really great talkers but they're not always such good writers anything that we can do to scale content anything that we can do to make content accessible to every recruiter and to mean that there's not a huge gap between those that are brilliant writers and probably the majority who aren't such great writers. Um, so that we can make our, our activities on social media and by email and things like that, if we can make the results more predictable by just generally raising the standards, anything that can address that, I think is something we, we should be looking at.
0: Yeah, that's brilliant. Recruitment is such a such a multifaceted role nowadays. We we were chatting about it internally at Laurium. think last week that it's now part marketer, part technical specialist. So you understand the requirements and you know how to make sure the candidate's a good fit. You've got to be a good salesperson. But then also you've got to be a bit of a techie now with all the sourcing techniques and and methodologies out there. And I I know that you'll agree with this, Adam, you can find everyone how you engage them and get them into a process for your client that's the that's the missing bit so yeah it's it's a real multifaceted role now so yeah super interesting Just,
5: just, just just on that this isn't a tech answer but i i firmly believe we've got a better segment if i go and look at like a sophisticated sales and marketing team like in isims i mean there's like eight different between the customer between the customer requesting a you know a demo or requesting some information to them actually the technology getting landed and deployed there's like eight different areas of specialism in that and each of them adds value in recruitment we've got one person doing like all eight of those and i really believe we need to segment our teams better we've got too many 360 degree recruiters uh it that's just just my opinion
0: yeah i mean is it we've done this conversation we were having we were thinking about how Recruitment teams of the future will be say if it's a team of like five, you'd have like a marketing person, you'd have a like a, a like a dedicated source or just somebody who finds people, you'd have the, the client side person and so on. So yeah, definitely I I, I can see that's how sophisticated organizations will, will move forward with their kind of building of their teams totally. Brilliant. So that, that brings us to the end of our conversation today, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. I thought that was that was that was brilliant. And um, if you don't mind, I'll put all of your contact details um, in the notes of this, this discussion. So anyone tuning in and wants to find out more about what you do and, and get your perspective can contact you, but yeah, thanks very much for joining me. And thanks very much for tuning in and watching this.
5: Have a great day. Thanks Darren. Absolutely loved it. Cheers. Thank you.
3: you. (laughs) Thanks Darren.